couple of other people that I'll mention this morning as we enter this time of our service. One is that Alan Mate is here. Alan, it's great to see you. I didn't. I saw you about a minute ago, and I thought, this is just what a blessing to look across and see Alan here. Uh, he's away from his family so much in Africa and uh, has a chance to be here over the holidays, I would assume. I heard you're going back next week. We will be sorry to see you go, but it's a blessing to see you right now this morning. Good to have you here, for sure. And then Richie and June Reed are here this morning, and I wanted to mention them simply because they have uh, made their way back to us and are going to be part of our church family again, and we're grateful that Richie and June are going to be with us, and uh, they have always been wonderful servants of Christ, helped to plant Journey, and that was such a blessing to the Journey Church, and now they've uh, come back here, and we're just glad that they can fellowship here and that we can grow from your presence. It's an awful, uh, awfully wonderful blessing uh, for you to be here, Richie and June. We're glad you're here. Please turn to uh, Matthew 16. And if you're in a pew Bible, that's page 694. We've read this passage already this morning. It is the incident of Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ. And I want you to look at verse 13 to begin with here. It's interesting that this starts with a question on the part of Jesus. Who is it that people are saying the Son of Man is? Jesus asks. And he is absolutely a master teacher. He knows exactly what he's doing. And I think he's setting the disciples up. He's absolutely setting them, them up. Uh, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they have a response here, of course. This is kind of like when I was 14 years old, I went to Bible camp for the first time. And when I got there, I, the whole purpose of me going to Bible camp was so that I could meet girls. And I got there and I, and I saw a girl. There were actually several there. But I, but I saw one, and I thought, she's attractive. But I also thought that she was several years older than me. So I was sitting on a bench watching some guys play ping pong. And all of a sudden, this girl that I thought was 17 when I was 14 came and sat down next to me. And here's how the conversation went. She sat down next to me, and she turns and looks at me, and she goes, How old do you think I am? And I said, I don't know, 17? She went, nope, 14. She got up and walked away. Just like that. Now, I hadn't told anybody that I was thinking about her or anything like that. But obviously, she had decided that I thought she was too old for me. And she wanted to make it clear that she was not. And so she absolutely set me up from the outset. Now, as it turned out, two weeks later... At the same camp, I went over to a different girl that I thought was pretty hot. And I said to her, this is my pickup line, so I'm going to be baptized tonight. That's how I introduced myself. She said, isn't that nice? And then, 32 years later, we're still married. Okay? <laughs> And I was setting things up. Okay? So Jesus is setting up the disciples here, and I think he knows exactly what he's doing as he sets them up. 
Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, one or, the, or one of the prophets, the disciples say. And then Jesus, who has set this up, gets to the real point. And the fact is, it's one of the most poignant, significant questions that could ever be asked. Because Jesus, at that point, after he has set them up, looks at the disciples and he says, But what about you? Who do you say? And now he doesn't say, who do you say the Son of Man is? He says, who do you say I am? And he makes it much more personal. And requires of them the asking of this discerning question. Now there's a sense in which, when it comes to this passage, we need to stop uh, right there. Because the fact is that Jesus is not asking this question this morning of them. This is the word of God. This is the Holy Spirit who uses his scriptures to speak to the church. And so the Holy Spirit this morning isn't asking the disciples, who do you say that the Son of Man is or who do you say that I am? Today, he's asking us that question. Who do you say he is? Now, for some of you, this could be the first time you've ever been asked that question. It's possible that there's somebody here today who doesn't know Jesus at all. You really don't know Christ. You don't know who Jesus is to you, let alone not know who he is at all. You don't know what role he could play in your life. You don't know what he could do in giving you a new start in life. You just don't know him. And I just want to say to you, if that's you, That we want to be a group of people who helps you find out who Jesus is. That we want to be a people who shows to you the Christ and helps you to seek an answer to your question. We want to encourage you as you join us in the path that we're all following. Because that's really a path we're all following too. We're all going down a road asking the question about who Jesus is. And as you ask that question, we want to facilitate an answer. There are others of you here, of course, who know that question very well. In fact, you hear it asked all the time in different words. Who is Jesus to you? What does Jesus continue to mean for your life? What claim will you make today about Christ? And what I'm hoping this morning is that you can hear that question anew. You may find this hard to believe, but the first time that I hit on Robin, she wasn't so excited to have me hit on her. When she went, isn't that nice? She was kind of saying, isn't that nice, son, kid, young guy. She just wasn't all that excited about it. So I went to her and I was asking a question. When I said, hey, I'm getting baptized today, what I was really saying was, so are you interested in me at all? You've known me for 30 seconds now. What what does it look like to you so far? That's what I was really doing. And I got my answer. And the answer wasn't one of really being impressed. Four years later, she was asked the question again. 
So what do you think now? I shave. <laughs> and now the question was answered in a completely different way. And, and Jesus asked you a long time ago, who do you think I am? But the question is being asked again. It's coming back to you. I don't know how exactly you answered it the first time, but the question is coming back to you again today. Who is it that you say Jesus is? Who do you say I am, Christ wants to ask? Now, let me caution you, if you've been a Christian for a long time, don't answer too quickly. Or maybe I should say, if you haven't been a Christian for very long, don't answer too quickly. It's easy for us to say, oh, I know who he is. He's the son of God. Gave myself to him years ago. I believe in him. He's my Lord. It's easy for us to answer that way quickly without maybe thinking as deeply about the question as we need to. It was easy for Peter to answer the question. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Did he know at that point that it was going to cost him his life. Peter had to give up his business as a fisherman and all that he knew in his life, including time spent with his family. And for three years, he was largely away, as far as I can tell, from his family. He was married. There's another place in the Gospels where it talks about Jesus being in the presence, in the presence of Peter's mother-in-law. Did Peter know when he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, that all of that was going to unfold for him? It meant for him huge responsibility in the kingdom. He had a role to play. For Peter, it meant stepping out of boat and trying to walk on water. For Peter, it meant Jesus saying things to him like, get behind me, Satan. Or, Peter, do you love me? After he'd been with him for three years. For Peter it meant watching his mentor and Lord die on a cross. It meant denying Christ at one point. It meant denying himself. Taking up his cross. It meant jail, persecution, conflict. For Peter it ultimately meant death. And so don't answer the question too quickly. Who do you say that he is? Now, for Peter, it also meant life. It meant hope. It meant a new start. It meant having a purpose. It meant getting out of that which was ultimately meaningless into something meaningful. For Peter, it meant playing a major role in the plans of Jesus. For Peter, it meant playing a major role in the plans of God for our world. It meant mission. It meant a chance to change lives. It meant a chance to change the world. And so, there might be some hesitancy on our part in terms of saying, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But if you choose to say that, along with all of the challenges, the blessings are innumerable. The blessings are incalculable. The blessings are amazing and rich and profound and they mean everything to us. 
So I don't know that Peter got everything in his head right. I don't know if he understood completely what he was saying when he said, you are the Christ. He did say, however, something significant. When he said, you are the Christ, he was also saying, you are the Messiah. And for Peter to say this, it's fascinating. The word Christ, if you don't know this, is simply the Greek translation of the Aramaic and Hebrew word Messiah. And so when Peter says, you are Messiah, he is also saying, I understand that God has sent someone special to me. He is saying something dramatic is is taking place, something new and wonderful. In fact, Peter has to be saying, when he says, you are the Christ, he has to be saying, I am changing my worldview and I recognize that everything about the world is being transformed, Jesus, by your presence. He has to know that when he says, you are Messiah, because Israel was looking for Messiah to come. Israel knew that when Messiah came, something was going to be different. And so he, when he said, you are Messiah, he wasn't just saying, I believe in you, Jesus. He's saying, everything is different. Everything now, with your presence, Jesus has changed. Everything is going to be made new. Nothing will remain the same. Because God is doing a new thing as Messiah comes into the world. Well, my point this morning is this. Messiah came not just for the Jews, of course, but he came for you and me. And if we say, if we say, even as we say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. If we say, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. Then for us, nothing remains the same. There is a huge change that must take place in our perspectives. Our worldviews cannot remain as what they were before if Jesus is indeed who we say he is. If I make that confession, then something is different. And this morning, that's what I'm asking for. I'm asking for a reconsideration of the question. You said it once, perhaps, maybe years ago. But sometimes confessions can become a bit stale. Sometimes we lose the significance in our minds of exactly what it is that we've done. And Jesus is saying, and Peter is saying here, as he confesses, something new is happening again. And and it's happening new today. And so I want you to hear, uh, there's a great line that people talk about uh, from the theologian Karl Barth when he was talking about the book of Romans and the word of God. And he says, uh, I wanted people to read the book of Romans uh, like reading it for the first time. And I, I want us to hear again for the first time the significance of what it means for us to say, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. I want you to hear it again, that confession for the first time. Hear it again in a completely new way. Because Jesus is saying to you this morning, Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am 
not just at the point of your conversion, but who do you say I am today? What does your answer mean for you today? The fact that he is Messiah today. He brings life and newness and change and mission and hope to the people who confess him today. And you cannot, you will not be the same if every day you confess Jesus as the Christ. And so here is a challenge. If there is no change in your life, in light of your confession, you are the Christ. Then did you really make the confession? If there is no alteration in your life because of the confession, did you make it? If there is no change, if there is no growth, if you don't wrestle with your sin, if you don't wrestle with your worldliness, if you don't wrestle with your consumerism, your treatment of people, your compassion for people, if you don't think to yourself, I should be doing more, if you don't have more passion and compassion for the lost, then do you really believe yourself when you say you're the Christ? Now, it's interesting because this passage goes on. You know what Jesus says to Peter? He says, Peter, on your confession, I will build my church. And we're a church. And we want to be built on the confession of who Jesus is. We want that to dominate who we are. This morning in class, I did a bit of an examination of our church and, and some analyzing about where I personally think we are. What we do with the issues that were raised in class this morning, I think, is directly related to the question that Jesus asks Who do you say that I am? And it's directly related to our answer. You are the Christ. Whatever lack of success we have as a church in impacting our world is dependent upon what we believe about Jesus. And obviously, I'm not talking about simply um, what do I intellectually believe about Jesus. That's not the point. The point is, where is your heart at? What do you believe about Jesus when it comes to your heart? To who you are as a person. And when you make the confession, you are the Christ, do you just make it with your lips or do you make it with your whole self? Because that's what God wants. He wants us to make the confession of Jesus as the Christ with every element of our being. Every cell needs to confess Jesus as Lord. And when we do, we can't remain the same. It changes us. It alters us. How will you approach tomorrow... When you go to work tomorrow, there's a lot of you going to some office somewhere or some truck or something that you're doing tomorrow to earn a living. When you go there tomorrow, how is it that the confession, you are the Christ, is going to impact you when you walk into that office? When you jump into a truck alongside somebody else, when you go to your first appointment, 
How is it that the confession, you're the Christ in your life, is going to impact the way that you interact in that relationship? And then when you go home, there are people who live around you. They may be out shoveling their walks. How is it the confession is going to influence how you treat those people? How will you approach your friends? How will you approach your co-workers? How is it that you're going to live in your community different tomorrow than you did today because of the confession? Some of you take your kids to hockey on a Tuesday night and you're sitting with the other parents. Will it influence the conversation that you have? I think it has to. I think that confession has to change things. If it doesn't, then are you making the same confession that Peter made? If nothing has changed, I think not. Peter makes the confession and nothing is the same. He is persecuted for a good portion of his adult life. He ends up in jail. He eventually goes to Rome. He's likely crucified upside down like his Lord, or like his Lord wasn't. He refused to be crucified right set up because Jesus was crucified that way. And he's not worthy, he says. Everything changes for Peter because of this confession. I mentioned this morning in class that I went to this seminar the last couple of days, uh, sponsored at Alberta Bible College. Uh, there was a speaker there from Community Christian Church uh, outside of Chicago. I uh, talking to Jack Moody this morning. He told me it's in Naperville and that he and Wayne have actually been there a few years ago. Praise the Lord for that because uh, that means we've got some contact with them anyway. This is a church with the same exact background as ours. They've been in existence for 22 years. There are 5,000 people in attendance. And that's significant, but that's not the big deal. They have planted in the last 22 years, it's actually in the last 15 years because it took them seven years to plant their first church. They have planted 90 churches. There's 5,000 of them that meet on Sunday morning, but they have planted 90 churches. Recently, they made a plea asking who in their church was willing to make the sacrifice of becoming fully committed to the church's ministry and throwing themselves into changing their community for Christ, including working to plant new churches for Jesus. They asked that question. How many of you, or is there anybody here, willing to give yourself to this mission? They had 2,000 people who came down the aisles at the end of the service out of 5,000 who said, we want to minister in our community in the name of Jesus. And I'm guessing that that's because there were 2,000 people who in their hearts were screaming out the words, you are the Christ. And because you are, we are compelled to live for you. And we need to be compelled to live for him because of that confession. On that rock, Jesus will build his church. But in order for him to do so, he has to hear the right answer. And the question this morning, of course, is how will we answer? Will we make that confession? Who do you say he is? Let's pray.
Lord God, we thank you, praise you, Lord, for working among us. Jesus, thank you for being here today with us. Spirit, thank you for enlivening us, for filling us, for giving us vision and hope and strength. Lord, help us to be what you want us to be. I I praise you for this opportunity that we have, God, to impact our world for you. And I, I pray that we confess you and we say that you are the Christ. And that that confession entails who we are. That it takes us over. And that we become all that you want us to be. God, don't let the obstacles that our world puts in our way keep us from fulfilling that vision of what we can be in you. Take those things away from us. Whether it's materialism or consumerism or lack of time, um, priorities that are out of whack. Help us get rid of all of that, Lord. And to just confess you and to have the impact of that confession reign in our hearts. We thank you for the privilege of worshiping you this morning through Jesus. Amen.